0: Welcome to Charlotte Reader's Podcast, where books and writing topics are center stage and where authors give voice to the written words.
1: Charlotte Reader's Podcast, Beyond 300, is about you, the listener. We want your feedback, opinions, recommendations, and questions. Email us or leave us a voice message and you might hear us mention you or play your message on the podcast. Just go to the homepage or contact page at charlottereaderspodcast.com and look for the links to email us or leave a voice message. It's easy to do. Let's have some fun together. For all things Charlotte Readers Podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. You can find a list of all episodes, an alphabetical guest list with links, detailed show notes for each episode, a community blog, and more. We'd love to have you visit. You can subscribe to Charlotte Readers Podcast wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. We're on all major podcast platforms. And the best part is, it's free.
0: I'm Landis Wade, and on behalf of my co hosts, Hannah LaRue and Sarah Archer, we thank you for listening.
2: The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at Queen City Podcast Hey,
0: readers and writers, this is episode 319 of Charlotte's Podcast Beyond 300. Uh, I'm here today with uh, co-host Sarah Archer, as usual. Hannah LaRue, our other co-host, is still on maternity leave, but she's going to be coming back to join us uh, here at the end of the year. So we're looking forward to that. But in her place today, we have Paul Reale, co-founder of Charlotte Center for Literary Arts. Uh, Welcome, Paul.
3: Linda, Sarah. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, and uh, you are the co-founder, but you do more than that. Is that right?
3: Current um, executive director also of of charlotte lit uh currently also a furniture mover we've had to relocate and i i I, i've been in charge of trying to get uh get uh, 1500 square feet of of furniture and things relocated moved stored it's been it's been um let's not call it a fun week it was an interesting week or so
0: yeah and you know um y'all have been a staple here in charlotte for four or five years and really part of the literary community but you're moving you're moving from one location to another. So tell our listeners where they're going to be able to find you now.
3: Yeah, we had a great run in our seven years at the Midwood Center in Plaza Midwood. We're moving nine-tenths of a mile down the road to the Huga co-working location in the Belmont neighborhood. The people there, Garrett and all, have been terrific in welcoming us and finding a way for us to fit in there. Our staff has already moved and our classes will begin there in January.
0: That's great. Well, Look forward to that. Uh, look forward to uh, coming out there more in the new year. And uh, But hey, we got a podcast to do here. and We appreciate, uh, Paul, you riding along with a shotgun here today. Uh, let's, uh, let's kick it off and let's tell our listeners uh, what, we've got, what we've got going.
1: Uh, yeah, we've got a really exciting lineup today. Um, we're going to feature international bestselling author Wade Rouse, writing as Viola Shipman, and his novel A Wish for Winter, which is a Christmas-themed novel set at a bookstore in Michigan. One New York Times bestselling author calls it a book that keeps faith and hope alive.
3: Next, we have Charlotte Litt's two-minute tip from me this week. It's called Gifts for the Writer in Your Life, Who Might Be You.
0: Yeah, also, uh, we've got a feature author, Carrie Henry Keefe's book, A Tide of Dreams, The Untold Backstory of coaches Paul Bear Bryant, Carney Leslie, and Frank Mosley. But one of you recalls a story of many loves around the common bond of football.
1: And next we've got our writing topic discussion. We're going to feature author Lucy McLaren's blog post, Mental Health and the Struggling Writer, which explores how to push back against the negative energy that sometimes haunts writers.
3: And then we finish up today with reading recommendations, book pitches, community and listener engagement, and what's coming in the next episode.
0: Yeah, that's great. We've got a great lineup. Uh, it's going to be fun today as we move toward the end of the year here. Um Lots of good uh, author features and uh, uh, interesting blog post and a strong lip tip. We'll have fun uh, debating uh, Paul about. Uh, he gets to critique his own work today. That's great. He gets you know. For, for some, oftentimes it's just us critiquing his work, but uh, today we all get to do it. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's let's uh, let's jump into what's up with the host. What's up, Sarah?
1: Um, well, let's see. It's a busy time of year with the holidays. Um, I've been working on my fiction and screenwriting. Um, I just recently found out that a short story of mine has been accepted into a journal. So I'm excited about that. Um, I don't know yet when it's going to be coming out, but I'll be sure to share the link when it's available. Um, I've also been writing some short articles about writing for a group called the Phoenix Screen Artists Association. I just had one in their newsletter last month and I'm working on a few more for the new year. Um, Also, in January, which I can't believe is next month already, (laughs) on January 18th, I'm going to be the guest speaker for a group called Writers Beyond Borders, which is hosted through Zoom um, through the Charlotte Mecklenburg Library System. It's uh, founded by a woman who's here in Charlotte, but it's an international group. We typically have people both from the U.S. and from India and Singapore who show up. And I'm going to be talking about screenwriting and answering questions. It's free, so if you want to register, you can do that through the Charlotte Library System's website. And on the 20th, when this comes out, I will be in St. Martin. So I'll be hopefully enjoying some sunshine. (laughs) We're we're
0: just so jealous Uh, of St. Martin's. uh, You were there for a couple of years, right?
1: Yeah, I lived there for a couple of years. Um, I've been back, I think, once between then and now. Um, So I'm super excited to go back. It's such a beautiful place and I'll get to see some people who I know there. So definitely looking forward to that.
0: That's great. Well, I'm jealous. Okay, Paul, I know you've been working on a novel. You've been writing some things. You've actually been sort of running, as you said, chief cook and bottle washer here at Charlotte Lit. But uh, tell us what's going on in your writing life.
3: Well, you know, I spend, at Charlotte Lit, I spend a lot of my time working with uh, with other writers. Uh, you know, we're putting together the new Authors Lab cohort for 2023, as noted earlier, moving the uh, the physical plant of Charlotte Lit. Um, but I also do some writing of my own. I'm going to re-enter the novel querying uh, market in January with a, a mystery novel that I've been working on for for some time and have just given a uh, a new polish. I also have two short stories that have been uh, sitting at around seventy five percent for a while, but I uh, I got some ideas on how to finish them, so I'm polishing those up, and we'll be submitting those beginning in January. See Kathy Collins, my uh, co-founder at Charlotte Lit, just had a, a poem accepted at uh, Santa Fe Review and um and she hates submitting as much as anybody i've ever i've ever known that whole that whole game and process um but since she's playing it, I'm gonna to play too, so I'm going to start that back up in january
0: that's great well uh okay for me i I've sort of been uh I, I sort of wrapped up uh uh phase one of the uh book tour for daily declarations um uh, that'll start back again next year sometime but uh I've submitted a few short stories. I had uh, one of my flash pieces uh, place in the Charlotte Writers Club flash fiction that uh, uh, I read at the last uh, meeting here in December. And uh, I, uh, I just, I told Sarah I was celebrating this morning because I started a project in August of uh, going back through more than 450 episodes, more than 300 on the podcast, more than 150 on Patreon, listening to them, pulling out uh, quotes, and uh, I now have 145,000 words of quotes from the podcast uh, experience, and uh, I'm going to turn that into, uh, with Sarah's eye looking over my shoulder, we're going to turn that into about 8 ebooks next year uh, on different topics that we're going to release for very, very, very very. A uh, small amount of change, and uh, just to get them out into the world and and share with the uh, the world in print uh, what we've been hearing on the podcast. Because I can't remember everything everybody told me, and uh, <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good advice in there, and and I love. I was just having such a great time going back through it, and 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 sort of laughing at times, and being inspired at times. And I thought, well, if nobody ever reads these, I'm going to have a great resource for the next time I write something. So. It's really fun and paul you know i'm throwing in uh your your two-minute tips in there too so people get to hear that wisdom again and uh yeah it's gonna be fun it's gonna be a lot of fun and we're gonna talk about it on the podcast next year when they come out each month and uh, uh maybe have that as a way to uh you know um kind of continue this idea of sharing uh what people think and know and experience about the world of writing and publishing um, and with that, uh, let's hear from our friends at Libro before we jump into Act One. We
1: have an affiliation with LibroFm because you can get audiobooks from them, and when you do, you support independent bookstores. If you'd like to sign up with them for your audiobooks, use the promo code Charlotte Reader and claim your free audiobook.
0: All right, well, look, we're going to jump into Act One here um, with the uh, first uh, author feature. The author we're featuring today is uh, in our uh, uh, lead feature is Wade Rouse, uh, writing as Viola Shipman. The name of uh, his book is A Wish for Winter. Uh, Viola Shipman is a pen name of international bestselling author Wade Rouse, who is the author of 14 books, which have been translated into 21 languages and sold over a million copies around the world. Uh, He chose his grandmother's name, Viola Shipman, as a pen name to honor the working poor Ozark seamstress whose sacrifice has changed his family's life and whose memory inspires his fiction. And the book, A Wish for Winter, uh, hey, it's Christmas time, so that's why we're leading with a Christmas book here. Uh, it's a Christmas-themed novel set at a bookstore in Michigan. Uh, the thing I liked about it, it was fun. There are a lot of literary tropes that are dropped into the book from time to time. Uh, we, we follow a lovelorn, Christmas-obsessed bookseller who's uh, turning 40 years old, whose friends and family set her up uh, on a year's worth of dates uh, all on a major holiday. And so uh, maybe she'll find her one true love. So a little bit of a romantic comedy as well. But, uh, you know, to add to the pressure, this is why it's a Christmas book, uh, everyone in her small town believes it's her destiny to meet and marry a man dressed as Santa Claus. So just like her mother and grandmother before her, who met and married people that were playing Santa Claus. (laughs) So it's kind of a funny funny story um, and uh, also deals with a lot of interesting uh, book-type topics, social media, snafus, and uh, authors behaving badly, as they say, and of course, the problem with uh, dating. Uh, Country Living uh, called it a must-read holiday novel for 2022. And when I caught up with uh, Wade, I I asked him first, Uh, I said, you write books that celebrate the Christmas season, and since we're in that season, tell us what you love most about Christmas. Uh, Asked him if he had a favorite Christmas memory and why he enjoys writing about Christmas, and this is what he had to say.
4: Every novel I write is inspired by a seminal childhood memory, and A Wish for Winter is no different. It's inspired by my Christmas memories of my grandmother, my pen name, Viola Shipman, she was a working poor seamstress in the Ozarks who never finished high school and never learned to drive, but she instilled love of reading and of the holidays in me. One of my most cherished memories is growing up in the 1970s in rural America. My grandmother would get the Sears Wish Book, if you remember those, which was as big as a Buick, and hand it to me before the holidays. This was before cell phones and Amazon, and it was like having the world delivered to me right at my doorstep. And my grandmother would hand me a red pen and tell me to mark every single thing that I wanted and point arrows at it, too, so Santa could see. And after a few weeks, I would hand her the catalog back, having circled everything. And my grandmother would then take me to go see Santa on the square, and I would whisper into his ear everything that I wanted for Christmas, usually from the Sears Wish Book. And I remember one time my grandmother said to me, you know, it's not the things that matter most at Christmas. It's the hopes and wishes and dreams that you hold inside that matter the most. And that memory always stayed with me. And it's a primary reason that I wrote A Wish for Winter, which celebrates not only my grandparents' influence in my life, but also how much I love the holidays.
0: All right. Well, that's a very inspiring start to, to this little segment here. Um I really like the fact that uh, he was inspired by something his grandmother told him centered around this holiday, and then he took it and ran with it in terms of writing novels <laughs> that that relate to, to Christmas. Uh, uh, anything similar that's uh, inspired you in your life, uh, Sarah?
1: Um, gosh, not, not that I can think of, but I, I love his story about the— the catalog and that kind of family memory is such a sweet and sentimental thing. Um, and I think a lot of that comes through in, in his writing, too, just the connection to family. And that's such a, you know, Christmas stories often pull on that. But he handles it in a really, I think, unique and um, sincere way, which I love.
0: What well, jumped out at you, Paul? Well, I, I think
3: we always say that every, every novel is autobiographical in some way. Although most of us hide it, right? We don't. Uh, we don't necessarily admit that these are episodes from our from our our past and our youth. Um, and it it makes sense, though, right? To to try to find some of those, some of those some of those moments of of our of our innocent times, right? The times when, uh, I mean, I still I remember the I remember the Sears catalog, right? I remember mm-hmm. my uh, my parents. There were six of us, so we had to battle over the battle over our, our time with it. Um, trying to imagine things that we couldn't even, that we couldn't even imagine things we'd never even seen except on the pages of those catalogs. And, um, that just feels like a great place to, uh, to jump off from in order to, uh, to, to get a story started.
0: Yeah. Now it's the Orvis and Land's End catalogs and end up <laughs> coming in the mail <laughs> with all the clothing and everything. But, uh, no, I, 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 have, uh, memories of, uh, you know, going to see Santa and, uh, sort of, I, I guess, you know, the whole thing sparked some of my early novellas was the writing the Christmas books was uh, sparked by this uh, you know notion that my characters were always saying hey always believe always believe in something but always believe you know so it sounds cool. like he's uh, really onto something here with his uh, series um, second question I asked him was uh, about his protagonist um, I, I mentioned that his forty year old protagonist is named after the little girl in Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Her family always dressed as Santa and Mrs. Claus every year when she was growing up, and she apparently is destined to meet her true love wearing a Santa suit. Um, but I asked I I ask him about the fact that he also deals with more serious issues such as loss and forgiveness, and I asked him to talk about why he wanted to address some of those, uh, you know, maybe more serious topics among the fun and joy of the Christmas season. And this is what he had to say.
4: One of the main reasons that I wrote A Wish for Winter is that not only did I want it to celebrate the holidays and the family traditions that we all have, but I wanted it to deal with grief. So many times at the holidays, we are given kind of this um, shiny faux perfection of how the holidays should be, but so many of us are going through so much of the holidays at the holidays and it's, it's really magnified at that time. You know, I lost my brother when I was very young and that impacted me greatly. And I feel like people are dealing with so much during the holidays, um, loss, um, grief. And a wish for winter deals um, with Susan's loss of her parents at a very young age and how that impacts her throughout her whole life. You know, being able, being unable to love herself unconditionally and thus um, unable to love others. It's also about being able to forgive yourself, you know, the survivor's guilt that many of us have if we, if we survive a tragedy. And all of that is a primary reason I wrote A Wish for Winter, because I wanted it to be a way to provide readers um, with some catharsis and, and inspiration, as well as to give them a little bit of hope and healing um, through the novel. And I hope it does that.
0: Yeah, you know, we have to remember that uh, this time of year, though, it's exciting, and there's uh, a lot of anticipation If you've got, uh, you know, of course, there's Santa Claus out there. You've got to be good or you're not going to get what you want, right? So a lot of anticipation there. But, uh, you know, this is not a season. uh, I mean, that season brings back memories, and when you've you've lost uh, uh, friends or family members, uh, you know, it can hurt for folks, and it, it sort of brings into focus, I think, this idea that novels should be more than one dimensional let's just riff on that a second uh, paul your thoughts
3: yeah there is a there is there's probably no good novel that is just you know just lightness right that is just what uh, what is happy in the world we there is a there's a shadow side to everything there has to be struggle that we go through um and i and that's why we read that's why we read novels in in memoirs we are trying to experience um we're trying to we're trying to See the life experience from from other perspectives, but we all share that, right? We all share that, um, you know, that road, many roads through through sadness, through grief. I think the holidays, particularly, um, because often, you know, Thanksgiving or Christmas is the first time that we are without a particular person who's been there year after year, and you know, especially during the last couple of years, last three years of COVID, it is much more likely that, you know, that we that we have experienced that kind of loss right someone who is who's gone to us and our, our our fiction needs to reflect that
0: yeah and Sarah, you wrote this uh plus one the rom-com kind of fun book but you dealt with other issues in that book as well right yeah for sure
1: I mean th- that book is it's a comedy um and it's meant to be entertaining, but it does get at some deeper issues that the the main character is dealing with, and issues about you know what it really means to love someone and what it takes to have a relationship um and for me my my favorite things to write or to read or to watch always combine some element of drama and some some element of comedy. I think that combination can be really rich because it's real life, you know every mm-hmm. day in your life you're gonna have good and bad and you're going to have lightness and you're going to have darkness. And when you bring those things together in your writing, I think it can be really effective. Um, Sometimes for me, the most emotionally effective moments in books or in movies or to TV are in something that is comedic, but then when it kind of swerves away from that and gets to the heart of the story and gets to the heart of the characters, it it really, that juxtaposition kind of almost takes you by surprise and hits harder for me than if it's something that is um, more sentimental all the way through. And I think mm-hmm. that um, a holiday story is is a great way to bring that together because it's true. Like in real life, the holidays are, there's the sweetness and the fun and the kind of like glittery Radio City Music Hall image of Christmas. Mm-hmm. But there's also, like we've been talking about, it's an emotional time of year for a lot of people. Um, it can, and it can bring up a lot of personal and family things that are going on. So I love how he's combining those two in this book. I think that's perfect.
0: All right. Well, this is the place where authors give voice to the written word. So let's hear a little reading from the book before we ask him a uh, uh, final question.
4: This scene occurs at the latter stages of A Wish for Winter, in which Susan, the main character in the novel, runs away from her Christmas and July bookstore celebration, as well as pretty much everything in her life yet again. There is nothing, not the beach, nor a dip in the lake, not a dreamsicle sunset, nor chasing down the ice cream truck on a scorching day, that sums up summer more to me than the sound of a sprinkler. The rhythmic ch-ch-ch has always spellbound me, as has the smell of water on freshly mown grass in the summer heat. I stare into the water droplets, as gold as the sunshine, flying back and forth in the blue sky in front of an old shingled cottage with an American flag flapping in the wind. Out of nowhere, two kids, a boy and a girl, no more than six, race around from the back of the cottage and sprint. No holds barred directly through the sprinkler. They giggle wildly, look at each other, and then do it again. They look up and see me, water dripping off their heads. Hi, Santa, the little girl says with a big wave. That's not Santa, silly, the boy says. That's a girl. It's Mrs. Claus, then, the girl says, voice indignant. A girl can do anything a boy can do. And it's summer, the boy continues. Santa's on vacation right now. Actually, I say, Santa is downtown right now. He decided to visit Petoskey on vacation. No way, the girl says. Come on. The girl races toward the cottage yelling, Mom, Dad. The boy starts to head inside but turns back at the last minute. Hey, if he was the real Santa, why did you run away? The boy asks. I'd never leave. I smile. You're right, I say. He wasn't the real one. I knew it, the boy says. He looks at me, but I'm still going to see him for my sister. You know, he runs toward the cottage and takes the steps two at a time until he's standing on the wide front porch. You should do it. He calls to me. Do what? Run through the sprinkler. He says, I know you want to. You have that look. My parents always do, but they never let themselves. Adults are so weird. They make all the easy stuff hard. Just do it. I promise it'll make you feel better. The boy heads inside. I look left, then right, and then run into the sprinkler. The cold water hits me hard right in the face and it takes my breath away. I make it to the other side and race through the water again, screaming in glee like a kid. My heart is racing and I do it one more time, eyes open. As I run, I am a girl racing through the hardware store sprinkler my dad rotated every few hours on our lawn, especially during a dry summer. I can see him in the window laughing. I can still picture him setting up a slip and slide on the sloping hillside in our yard. The water drops fall all around me, but suddenly they are frozen in midair. It is snowing in the middle of winter, and I am racing outside the gym after being told my parents had been killed. I'm standing alone, staring into the sky, screaming. I still am. When I step outside the sprinkler, dripping wet, my Santa cap plastered against my head, I feel remarkably sober. A figure moves in the window. The little boy is standing there, giving me a big thumbs up.
0: That uh, That's an interesting reading. Um, you know, as I'm listening to that, one thing that occurs to me, um, so we're about to talk about uh, writing craft here, is how many different senses uh, he was able to bring into this scene. I'm just thinking about... Uh, We've got the sound, I'm, I'm the, you know, of, of the water sprinkler. I just felt that and saw that, and you get the uh, smell of the grass and the water dripping, sort of a tactile feel, and then the coldness of it. And then it changes to a frozen. I mean, these are things that are just kind of layered into this uh, into this reading, and I and I wonder uh, at what draft, folks, do y'all get this into the end of the book. <laughs> You can take that, Paul.
3: Well, for me, it's the last one. I'll tell you, um, <laughs> my my uh, my drafting. Even though I'm kind of a careful drafter, um, you know, I'm not a I'm not a sprint I'm not a sprint drafter. The, the sensory details are the things that 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 don't occur to me really in the um, in, in the storytelling part. Yeah, so it is a, it is part of the part of the uh, the, the fit and polish that goes on at the end.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm in your camp. What about you, sir? for
1: me i would start adding that kind of thing in the first draft but i do a lot of planning first so typically by the time i'm writing a first draft i already have kind of the structure and the story laid out even though it might change um so i am adding in the details even as i write the first draft but i love that kind of stuff i think it's fun so for me it's hard to just write without including that
0: kind of thing
3: i think i'm really i think i'm really a playwright at heart right i I really just want to write Mm -hmm. the dialogue down
0: (laughs) (laughs) i I know and so uh, and so saying this out loud uh, is going to make uh, Sarah and I finish this, so we'll say it out loud again. But we're we're going to we're going to work together to write a little short, like ten thousand, fifteen thousand story. We were inspired to do that by somebody we had on the show, and I think it'll be go by the name of something like the podcast murders, or it won't be murder in the building, maybe murder in the <laughs> podcast studio. I don't know. We we <laughs> haven't figured that out yet. But uh, uh, I've already noticed uh, that I'm back and forth. Um, Sarah is able to lay down some of the sensory details a little bit better than me in the first draft, so I'll have to come back like later, <laughs> Sarah, and get some of those in yeah. in the next couple of drafts. You know,
1: we still have to figure out how it ends first.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm more plot and dialogue as we go here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, look. Uh, speaking of that, this is a good segue because the last question uh, we asked was in the writing uh, uh, area. Because I asked uh, uh, Wade, I said, uh, "With the bookstore owner as your protagonist, uh, you've dropped in all these literary." tropes uh you know like pantser and plotter and why readers love romance books and he also references classic christmas movies so i asked him to tell us a little bit about the writing practice and also some of his favorite christmas movies and here's what he had to say
4: a wish for winter is a book that really celebrates books some of my favorite childhood books um like the polar express as well as some of my favorite christmas movies including A Miracle on 34th Street, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. And that would be the original version with Natalie Wood. In fact, Susan, the main character in the novel, is um, named after Susan, the little girl in Miracle on 34th Street. And she's kind of the exact opposite of that little girl. She believes in everything in the holidays. And I thought it would be fascinating to have a character um, who, as a child, had all of the holiday magic, and then something happens to her and she loses that, and yet still is confronted with those memories every single year as Susan is in, in her bookstore. you know. Both her mother and grandmother met their future husbands while he was dressed as Santa Claus, and the entire town feels like it's uh, Susan's destiny to do the same, and that kind of hangs over her head. I think I'm a very different writer than many other authors. Because I am certainly not a plotter by any, by any stretch of the imagination. I'm much more of a pantser, meaning that I have to have inspiration, a wellspring, a memory that calls to me and gets my juices flowing. And then I just go, you know, I start by developing my characters first and foremost. I'm a very disciplined writer. I write, I'm write, currently writing two books a year right now for HarperCollins Collins. A Christmas novel and a summer novel. And I start very early in the morning, about 6 a.m. with a lot of coffee in my robe before the world intrudes and write for about five or six hours when everything is fresh. And I just go until I cry, weep, laugh, stop.
0: <laughs> I love that. He goes until he cries, weeps, laughs, and then stops. I will say this. He says he's not... Um, you know, like many other writers, because he's a pantser. But I, you know, my sort of study here of these 400 author interviews is very anecdotal. But I would say this: everybody's different, and you know, you've probably seen that uh, Sarah and Paul with the writers you've come in contact with. And nobody's wrong. You know, it, it's uh, there's so many different ways that people approach uh, getting that first draft uh, out there. And uh, he talks about pantsing and inspiration. That was really what led to my first book, uh, The Christmas Heist, was uh, the Miracle on Fourth Street movie playing in the background while I'm writing this Christmas story. So, you know, there are all kind of things, that can, and, and I had no idea where I was going with it, uh, and it became a, became a novella. So, uh, you know, there's all kind of ways to get into it. Um, and, you know, while we don't uh, have time to delve into it deeply, let's just take a poll here. I think I know the answers, but uh, Sarah, Plotter, or Pantser?
1: Oh, i think you know that i'm a plotter yeah,
0: yeah yeah paul
3: i'm uh i'm in the i'm in the middle um if yeah. i start from if i with a short story i might start with an image rather than rather than anything in particular but for the novels that i've written um i have to have a pretty good plan um not 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 too tight but i have to have a pretty good plan so i use you know i'll use a structuring tool um i like the basic nine steps of the three act of uh, the three act model to be able to say, where is this, where is this headed? So I'm, I'm closer to the plotter side than the pantser side.
0: Yeah, I'm a pants liner. So I don't know what we- <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, i said that before, but uh, I have used Scrivener kind of as a way to do that sort of in between because I create uh, these headings and these chapters in Scrivener that have nothing in them yet, but they kind of serve as a visual for me to where I might want to go. And if I get an idea, Yeah, if I get an idea, I just kind of drop it in there and then come back to it later. So, all right, well look, uh, that was was great great uh, information there from uh, Wade about his book and also his writing. Uh, And now we're gonna uh, shift uh, to the Charlotte Lid 2-Minute Tip right after this message.
1: If you like what we're doing and would like to help us defray the costs of this podcast, please consider becoming one of our patrons through the Patreon website. For as little as $5 a month, say a coffee or a happy hour drink, you can help us out. And in return, we have a library of exclusive episodes, over 120, that you can access through the Patreon website. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Charlotte podcast and join up. You can cancel any time, by the way, and we thank you in advance for whatever you decide to contribute.
0: All right, well, by the title of the uh, Charlotte tip today, you would think that we all planned carefully what we're gonna do today, but, uh, you know these things just kind of come together sometimes. Uh, synchronicity is kind of a uh, interesting, uh, interesting thing. Um, Paul's uh, tip this week is titled "Gifts for the Writer in Your Life," uh, which might be you, which uh, really fits well into the holiday season. And uh, so, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to play that because uh, we recorded the audio ahead of time, and then we're going to talk about it. So here we go.
3: We're in the holiday season as I record this. So naturally I'm thinking about gifts for the writers in your life, one of whom might be yourself. Here are three directions you might go. First, consider a good book on the craft of writing. I'm a big fan of Stephen King's On Writing and Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird, though these are popular titles your writer friend might already own if they've been writing for a while. Here are four titles they are less likely to have on the shelf. The Emotional Craft of Fiction by Donald Maas, Your Life as Story by Tristine Rayner, Meander, Spiral, Explode by Jane Allison, and The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Second, most writers, even those who compose on a computer, love writing supplies. Consider a notebook. Moleskine has some very nice de- varieties. And consider nice writing implements. I am personally a fan of Blackwing pencils and the refillable pens from Kaweco, one of the best gifts I ever received. Finally, perhaps the best gift you can give a writer in your life is the gift of time and space. Every person's needs are different, but there are a few things to consider. Take over one of their tasks for a time, such as cutting the lawn. Help them get a week or weekend away help them to create and decorate a dedicated writing space in their house. Or if they live with you, help create and enforce a house rule that when the writer is writing, they are not to be disturbed for any reason short of a house fire. And remember, the writer in your life might be you, so you'll have an answer ready when it comes time to answer the question, what do you want for a gift this year? For more two-minute tips from Charlotte Lit, Listen to beyond 300 episodes of this podcast or visit charlottelit.org slash tips.
0: All right. This is, um, this is good. Sarah, maybe you can take, uh, those book recommendations you made. We'll drop those in among the book recommendations in the show notes, uh, because I'd like to remember those as well. Um, so Paul, I guess my question is, um, what's Santa going to bring you off of your list here? (laughs) (laughs)
3: Well, <clears throat> there's always, there are always craft books b- brought to my house. Um, my kids are both writers, and, uh, and they, um, they love to scour the bookstore for things that they, pro- they think that I don't have. So I get, I get good novels, and I get, uh, I get craft books all the time from them. Um, but I, I think I can't emphasize enough that third, that third one. Uh, especially when you're thinking about what to do for yourself. You know, we have had a conversation here about new year's resolutions, whether to make them or not, but if you're going to make one, here's a good one. That is to figure out in the new year, what you can give up in order to make some time for your, for your writing. Because uh, as I've noted many times in the past, most of us don't have, you know, a couple hours a week sitting around waiting to be filled by something. Um, If, if, um, if you're struggling having time to find writing time for yourself, you have to find out what it is that you're going to stop doing or do less of. And that's a really important gift you can give to yourself.
0: Sounds like you want to stop cutting the grass from what I'm listening oh, to. Oh, I got that one
3: taken care of a little while ago. That's <laughs> why I thought of it. It was one of the ones my my, my wife did take over a few years ago. Uh, I got a few more well, things I need to stop doing. That.
0: One of the visuals I had when you talked about you know helping someone set up and decorate your office and then you know, not allowing anybody to come in. I was thinking about those old tree houses, you know, no no girls allowed on the big (laughs) sign. We could have a no no non-writers allowed sign on the outside of the door, you know, for a certain period of time. Yeah. I think
3: we need to have, is there that kind of custom yellow tape that goes across crime scenes, right? (laughs) This is, you know, writing in progress, right?
0: That's great. Crime scene tape around the mystery writers uh, writing space. (laughs) Well, Sarah, what do you, what do you, uh, this is a great list. Uh, What's uh, Santa going to bring you off this list?
1: I hope. Time—that's a great gift. That's the best thing that you can yeah. give a writer, or even a non-writer. I mean, just let them take a nap. That's like the best gift you can <laughs> give anyone. I think as an adult, I'm more excited about that than about any material thing that someone could buy me. Um, but there are some other great, like writer, writerly gifts that you could give people um, this year too. Like I know Libro.fm, who we sometimes partner with about um, books that we read and recommend. They have these holiday bundles that you can give, where you can give credits to people. Um, and I think they're also running a promotion right now where you can get a free audiobook for yourself if you do that there's some details about that in the show notes on our website or on the audio player um and paul can tell us more about this but i think charlotte lit also has a holiday gift package available of some sort right where you can give people um like class credits and i think there's some other goodies that come with it
3: yeah thanks sarah i uh thanks for thanks for the for the for the, for the, the free plug. promo <laughs> um, yeah the, the we call it the gift of lit and it's a uh it's a membership uh two class credits uh a moleskin notebook and some Charlotte swag. Um, yeah, and there, we have only a few left. They're available on our website.
0: Yeah. And if you're into eBooks and this is the Christmas season, I'm going to give a shameless plug here because I'm experimenting. We've, uh, I've put all three eBooks up, uh, wide and I'm discounting them down for the holidays to like a dollar 99 for three bucks. So, uh, Hey, that's a deal folks. You know, even, even though it's written by me, that's a deal, you know, <laughs> does, uh, yeah, check does. out
1: the new covers too.
0: Yeah, and check oh, out the new covers because covers, yeah, covers are fun. It's a lot of fun. So, yeah, this is – um, I really like this because um, people always ask, well, what do you want for Christmas or what do you want for your birthday or what do you want for this? And, you know, you you can't ever think of anything, right? But but look, this is what we do. We're writers. There are things that we could use that we really enjoy that we'd probably buy for ourselves if somebody else didn't buy it for us. Uh, um, so, yeah, th- these are great ideas, great tips, and I uh, appreciate that, Paul, for – getting us going. And, um, I'm just wondering if there's, uh, you know, um, if there's more, we can add to this list, maybe we should, uh, maybe there's some more things we should add. I mean, I'm trying to think here. Uh, there's
1: always so many books that
0: we all want. Yeah. <laughs> well, we talk good. about reading, reading being so important. I mean, I've, every Christmas I can remember, I've always gotten a novel. Some people give me novels they know I love to read. So I get all these novels. Uh, now, if they come into my study they look around and they say well he's already got about 500 no- <laughs> novels in-, in here from the podcast maybe he doesn't mm-hmm. need a novel <laughs> you know but uh, i i do love to read and i love to read in all formats uh, you know uh ebook uh print book and now um i'm a big fan of audiobooks so i really like to you know sometimes it's a different experience uh, i think to listen to an audiobook and i found given time you talk about time it's important to read but I found that if you're driving back and forth to places or taking a walk, you can read a lot more if you, if you read with your ears, you know, so. Yeah,
3: so for I've sure. gotten to be a big fan of audio books. I, I always would think, no, I don't really have time to do that. Um, but it actually works really well for the, I think for the downtime, right. For when, oh, pick a thing, moving furniture, right. Which I seem to do right. a, a lot of, or, um, uh, or driving my kid around my kid. I have one kid who still doesn't, doesn't drive. So there's a lot of, uh, moving things around. And I think you um, begin to experience a story differently when you listen to it. I often like to listen to something that I've actually read before. Um, right now I'm listening to um, uh, The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemison, which is the first of an extraordinary trilogy, each of which won uh, science fiction's biggest award. And um, and it, it reads, it just, it, it hits the ear differently, I think, that way. And it, mm. uh, it can inform your own writing too, to be able to hear how words, how someone else's words sound out loud.
0: Exactly, and uh, another thought I just had is that uh, folks, if if you're listening and you're trying to think of a book to get for somebody, uh, on our website, we have um, a tab uh, that's called Guests. And if you click on that, you'll see a list of all the guests that have appeared on the podcast. And uh, you can kind of scroll through that and there might be a favorite author. You can see what that author talked about On the podcast what book they discussed maybe that's a book you want to go out and get get for somebody and if you're a if you're a writer out there uh, hopefully uh, these books that paul have mentioned uh, might be of interest to you and also uh, we've got uh, several blog posts up uh, on the community blog and on our individual blogs about uh, books that uh, are on our writing shelves i think i've got one on the community blog about uh, books that are on my writing shelf that i use for crafts so Check those out. There's lots out there. Go buy Park Road Books. Go by Main Street Books. Uh, uh, peruse the shelves, and uh, you know, find that perfect gift. Uh, and you know, there's always time to buy something for yourself, right? While you're out shopping for others.
3: <laughs> hey, Landis, one more thing, then just you just just uh, gave me that thought. If you when you stop by your local booksellers, Park Road Books and Main Street Books, and that's novel. Uh, each of them have a shelf of uh, of local writers. And you could do a really great help for our local writers by picking up their titles. Co- picking up their titles. That's good. Uh, we have some yeah. really tremendous, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I think about half the writers from the show, Linus, are uh, are right here in the area. And
0: mm-hmm. know,
3: some of them are, are um, some of them are, are, are major names, but a lot of them are, are, are um, just part of our local community, right? They teach here, they work here, um, and there's some great books coming out of Charlotte. So picking up a book or two or a few more, from our local writers would be a great way to to serve the the community and get yourself a great read.
0: Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Uh, uh, Of all the episodes, I think probably 50% of the authors are regional and maybe 30 or 35% are in the Charlotte uh, region. Um, And thanks for mentioning That's Novel Books, Uh, Alyssa Pressler, she makes a great book recommendation on the show here. And they they got an award recently, I think they were uh, chosen as Best bookstore in Charlotte, uh, Editor's Choice yeah. by Queen City Nerve. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that was great, great for them. All right, well, um, we're going to uh, move along uh, from the Christmas uh, and holiday gifts that we want uh, to uh, another author feature. Uh, before that, uh, we've got a quick message here.
1: If you're an author who would like to be featured on the show, check out our submission process on the contact page of charlottemeterspodcast.com. Please understand that given the number of submissions we receive, we can't respond to every submission or feature everyone who submits, but with the Beyond 300 format, we are featuring more authors in many different ways. You might be interviewed or provide us some audio content for us to play, or participate in an author or marketing talk, or get a shout out for your publication. One way to be sure to get a mention on the show is to submit a 750-word or less blog post to our community blog on a writing or marketing topic. If it's accepted, we may have you on to discuss the content. Just go to Charlotte dot and look for the community blog for details.
0: All right, uh and listeners, that uh the community blog is, is really taken off. We really appreciate all the feed, uh all the participation that we're getting from writers out there. And if, if you are a writer and you're you're thinking, well, how do I how do I market myself? Well, submit a community blog, uh provide that uh, expertise. Uh Not only will you have it uh, posted on our website uh, and in our newsletter, but we will have you record the audio of that uh, blog post and uh, we'll talk about you on the podcast. That's uh, free publicity, folks. So take advantage of 750 words or less. Uh, Just check out the community blog about what we've got there. Everyone that's uh, here today has written for that blog. Paul's got a blog post there, Sarah does. I've got one on there. And uh, a lot of authors who participated on the show. Um, have written uh, blog posts as well. So check that out uh, and uh, add that to your list of things to do to help build your author platform. Um, Okay, so the author uh, we're featuring next is Carrie Henry Keefe. Her book is A Tide of Dreams, The Untold Backstory of Coaches, Paul Bear Bryant, Carney Lashley, and Frank Mosley. Sarah, would you mind telling us a little bit about Carrie and her book?
1: Yeah, so um, Carrie has written a mystery thriller, which is based on her 12 years as a medical practice administrator in Las Vegas. She's also written numerous personal essays that have been published on NPR-affiliated stations over the years. She studied business at the University of Richmond, and now she lives in Suffolk, Virginia, where she and her husband are closer to the sea and to four of their six grandchildren. And um, her book is about um, well, it starts with the bombing of Pearl Harbor in December 1941, and at that point, dreams of young men and women across the nation were sidelined across the country prepared for war. And this was true also of coaches Paul Bear Bryant, Carney Lasley, and Frank Mosley, who were three friends and former football teammates from the Univers- University of Alabama, Um, They had plans to coach football together, but those were upended, and instead they were selected to be part of a little-known contingent of fast-tracked ace coaches turned naval officers known as the 90-Day Wonders. Um, the tough military style team conditioning they implemented at the Navy's pre-flight training centers resulted in a U.S. fighting force, which became known for being the toughest in the world. Then after the war, they reunited again. They took their brand of coaching into collegiate teams and transformed them into national champions. So this book spans the 20s until 1961, and it's about college football, but it's also about friendship and loyalty, uh, um, aspirations and dreams, and these intriguing personalities who kind of blended together and all loved the game of football.
0: And yeah, i'm not a am not a huge fan of uh, sec and and alabama taking over the whole football world and everything but this is an interesting story and, it, and it's really interesting to see how in that era back then uh, that these coaches that have become so famous bear bryant for example uh they were involved in u- using what they later used uh you know to roll tide to help train the train the military kind of interesting um but uh of course uh alabama didn't make the playoffs this year so i guess uh You know, well, if you lose two football games, you probably shouldn't make the top four teams. Um, Anyway, I digress. Sarah.
1: Yeah, so well, for the record, I don't know anything about football, but this book still has a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff in it, even if you're not a football yeah. fan. <laughs> um, exactly. So the first question that we um, asked Carrie was to tell our listeners who Paul Bear, Bear Bryant was and his relationship with Connie Lasley and Frank Mosley. Um, also maybe slip in how we acknowledged them when he became the winningest coach and why she wanted to write this story.
5: For college football fans of a certain generation, coach Bryant is known throughout the South As the face of the sport itself. For those who may not be familiar with who Bear Bryant was, uh, they may know his houndstooth hat, where it remains a a fashion statement to this very day, not only in Alabama, but in other parts of the country where alumni may have landed. And he is considered by many to be one of the greatest college football coaches of all time. Um, Bryant my grandfather, Carney Lasley and my godfather, Frank Mosley met at the University of Alabama in 1931, where they played football together for the Crimson Tide. They dreamed of returning to their alma mater, like many do, uh, to one day coach together and win national championships. And in 1958, it was Brian and Lassley that returned. And over the next 12 years, uh, they became known as the closest collaborating coaching partnership known in the history of the sport. Remarkable for three national championships won in those 12 years. But it was in 1970, at the age of 60, that Coach Leslie died from a blood clot. That resulted in an injury he sustained on the practice field the year before. For the next decade, Bryant went on to make his mark and won an additional three out of six national championships. But by that time, the story of their historical journey together and the nature of their partnership had faded. Not many remembered the extent to which they had collaborated but it hadn't faded for Bryant, who, as he walked off the field in 1981 at the conclusion of the game that made him the winningest coach in college football his- history, that he honored only two men by name, and that was Frank Mosley and Carney Lasley, who he said he wished were there with him. I had known for a very, very long time that I would write their story. It took 11 years and has been described by early reviewers as more of a love story about friendship and loyalty and ambition and loss than about football.
0: So, you know, we have sometimes um, questions about inspiration and you might go to a book signing and, you know, somebody will ask, you, you know, what inspired you or where do you get your inspiration and that kind of thing. It's very interesting to listen to this and see um, how it is that uh, – Carrie found her passion for this particular story. Um, and I love the fact that, uh, uh, Bear Bryant, you know, acknowledged, um, uh, the people that, uh, helped him get to where he was. That's not always true in sports. Uh, I know you don't follow football, Sarah, but, uh, sometimes athletes don't always give credit to people to help that help them get there <laughs> or the coaches, you know, for that matter. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but he did, and, and that's important. And I think it helped, uh, her, her as well. Um. Just quickly on inspiration, um, how are y'all inspired when it comes to writing, Paul?
3: Oh wow, <clears throat> that's a really good question. I think um, I, I, I sometimes am inspired by the uh, by the a great book. Right, a great book makes me want to write my own my own book. Um, in terms of what my ambitions are, I think in terms of what inspires me to do the work, though. Um, I don't, I couldn't even think I could tell where that comes from. I've been thinking about, um, the, uh, idea of, of of making time versus waiting for time to show up is similar to waiting for the muse to show up. Um, Jack London said, you can't wait for inspiration. You have to hunt it down with a club. So (laughs) I think that's the, that might be the way. Um, and I think, but for, for people who are, who are some people who are highly creative, um, the, the universe is full of inspiration it's constant i almost have to have to beat some of it away right and just make sure that i capture you know that i write down the ones they get me most going so that i remember them because there's so much inspiration from the from the world around
0: yeah i sometimes find that when you say oh i want to enter that contest or i want to i want to write a flash fiction piece or, I want to write a short story for that contest but you don't know what you want to write about sometimes you are trying to kind of hunt it down with a club i love it best when Something happens uh, that you get inspired at about the time that those contests are going on Because I talked about this flash fiction piece I I wrote I wouldn't have written it and I would not have been excited about writing it uh, had I not heard one thing I was having a conversation with someone who said uh, You know His wife never comes to church and we're talking about the minister, you know and I'm <laughs> And and I'm thinking oh, okay There's a lot packed into that one sentence The minister's wife doesn't come to church. (laughs) And that that led to a flash fiction piece for me. So, Sarah, what what inspires you?
1: Oh, gosh. That's kind of hard to say. I mean, like Paul said, there's inspiration everywhere. Sometimes... I can find a specific trigger of what inspires an idea. And sometimes I have no idea where an idea for a story comes from. Um, That just kind of pops into my head. But I I do think you have to sort of test your ideas and see if they're willing to go the distance with you. Like Carrie said, she spent 11 years on this book. So there's an idea that, you know, you, you might have an idea and it initially strikes you and seems interesting, but... That doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that has the legs for a story, especially for a longer piece like a novel or a feature script, um, and that you have the devotion to that you're going to see it through potentially years and years of writing and rewriting. So typically when I get ideas, I'll jot them down, but I don't go right away into actually working on the story. I'll I'll give it a little bit of time. And if the idea kind of lives in my head and keeps coming back to me and I keep thinking about it, that's how I know there's something here that I want to work on.
0: That's great. Well, speaking of stories, we asked uh, Carrie what a few of her favorite stories were from the book, and this is what she had to say.
5: I think one of my most favorite stories from the book is the account of my grandfather's years in Blytheville, Arkansas, probably the first Friday Night Lights type account, where he coached a small town team from 1933 to 1936 and a group of 19 boys who were said to know nothing about the sport to a record-breaking 35 straight wins, a remarkable achievement and a first at that time in history. Also, the chapters that focused on the pre-flight Navy's training program during World War II, which was a revolutionary curriculum utilizing sports and particularly football to train the troops and where all three men participated as a select group of coaches known as the 90 Day Wonders that was also particularly fascinating
0: so that uh sparks for me these thoughts of uh, remember the titans or hoosiers you know <laughs> when you got this group of 19 uh, year olds who go on to win uh, 35 games in a state championship uh it comes out of well, nowhere so bad news bears come on let's go or all bad the way. news bears <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although I don't think the Bad News Bears ended up winning the trophy at the end, but, but they won the hearts and minds of everyone else, I, I think, for the Bad News Bears, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so um, great stories. Uh, we also, speaking of, of stories again, we, we've got a reading uh, from the book. Uh, let's listen in.
5: It's January 1946. Frank Mosley and the war widow, Edie Gilbert, have just met. And the three coaches have just dramatically left the university of maryland where they just completed a successful winning season and have decided to take a job at the university of kentucky with heavy snowfall predicted and the distinct possibility of getting stranded frank decided to leave youngstown earlier than planned arriving in lexington kentucky a full day ahead of schedule In his next letter to Edie, he bemoaned the fact that he was the first of the three to get there. He was exhausted, lonely, and lovesick. He checked in at the Kentuckian Hotel, stopping at the hotel bar for a couple of drinks before turning in at 11 p.m. Sitting at the small desk in his room, he pulled out the seven by 10 souvenir notepaper, the name of the hotel preprinted at the top of the page. He carried out this routine throughout the next year writing each night from his hotel room, the name and insignia on the paper indicating his location for that evening. Please pardon this short letter, but it's getting pretty late, and too, I think I'm doing exceptionally well, he wrote that evening, alluding to having had too much to drink. He ends the letter as he does most all of them. I miss you very, very much and want to see you so badly. Love, Frank. Hard work, for all three loomed. The race was on to beat out other scouts from more established football programs in search of promising talent from high schools for the next season. The new coaches embarked immediately to recruit players. Like miners panning for gold in the mineral-rich streams and mountains of the pristine wilderness of the West, the coaches went in search of their own brand of motherlode, a young man with potential. The sophisticated interstate highway system we know today did not exist, and aggressive scouting meant coaches drove for days on end, abandoning main thoroughfares, traveling narrow two-lane roads that led to dirt roads that eventually ended in tiny mining towns. On one scouting trip, Frank reported in his letters to Edie that to get to the high school athletic field in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, he had had to leave his car on the shoulder of the highway and walked three miles down a road too muddy to drive on. On another trip, he drove 382 miles in exactly nine and a half hours, equaling a slow pace of 40 miles per hour. The coaches sought not only a talented athlete, but one with heart and grit as well. The combination of those traits deemed most likely to ensure success. Life in the coal camps of Appalachia was never easy, and guaranteed they'd find boys who had grit. Streets in those camp communities were often unpaved, with no sidewalks. In these towns, catching the eye of a college football recruiter was a young man's dream. For some, it was their only ticket out. It was often Coach lastly who shepherded freshman recruits personally through the process of orientation at Kentucky. He described how many of these coal mine camp boys showed up to their first day on campus barefooted, The athletic department's official athletic shoes issued to recruited players, often the first pair of shoes they owned that fit. For many, it was the first pair of shoes they had ever been able to call their own.
0: So therein lies the uh, original value of the the football scholarship or the athletic scholarship, you know, helping people advance. uh, But uh, I was kind of intrigued by the phrase... Miners panning for gold. I've never really thought about uh, <laughs> the recruiting process quite like that uh, But but on but just a riff a second. What about letters? When was the last time y'all wrote a letter to somebody? I, I have to confess It's been a long time. I mean, you know, you'll write a thank-you note every now and then but this idea of correspondence that you can Have years from now for research purposes for books. It's not going to be there because of email and yeah, texts and true. everything else
1: yeah. Yeah. I,
3: well, well, when our papers end up at universities, right, and they study the the writings of of uh, Sarah and Landis and Paul, I'm not sure how much <laughs> letters they're going to be among that pile.
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's just going to be. a bunch of have like to check the, They'll have to look in the cloud for all my texts and, <laughs> yeah. and emails. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, Sarah, we have another. You had a final question uh, there for uh, Carrie, right?
1: Yeah. We asked Carrie if she could go back and tell her younger writing self something of value about writing, based on what she's learned since then. Um, which might have helped her along the way. Um, what would it be? What would she want to tell herself as a younger writer?
5: I love this question and it, it got me thinking, I haven't, I haven't thought about this for a long time, but, uh, when I was a freshman at the university of Richmond, I had the ambition to be an investigative journalist and I enrolled in English classes, my first writing class, I got my first paperback and Lo and behold, my grade was a big fat D, as in dog. And I was so discouraged, I thought, well, I will never be a writer. And I changed my trajectory and ended up um, going into business instead. So what would I tell my younger self? I would say, don't give up, Uh, keep writing, keep learning, you get better and better, as time goes on, and along with that, read. Keep reading. The more you read, the more you become a better writer. Um, and make, but make sure you you read good literature or uh, you know people you would consider to be a good writer. You can always learn from that. So yes, my my D in my paper on my on my English class. Um, I think i would i would have stuck it out if i had heard my older self talking to my younger self
0: so this is uh kind of like one of your two-minute tips we get paul there's a lot to unpack sometimes in a and a short amount of uh, material here uh what jumps out at you paul
3: yeah she really had a couple of different points in there uh, In fact, the first two-minute tip that uh, kathy collins did was you need to read you need to read in your genre you need to read widely you need to read wisely Um, And she kind of snuck that in uh, right alongside the other piece of that, which was, you know, don't give up because of because of a bad experience. right?
0: Yeah, Sarah.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting that so many of the writers we talked to in this show seem to have some sort of formative experience in school that relates to their writing. Either they have. A teacher, especially an English teacher, early on who encourages them and tells them they're good at writing, or it's the opposite. It's something like this where they don't do well in a class, or they have a teacher who tells them they're not a good writer. Um, and a lot of times, those people take a detour, and then eventually they find their way back to writing in some form or another. So I think that's that kind of shows how people who love writing love it, and they're going to find a way to do it, even if they're discouraged. They'll they'll keep going and they'll make time for it, and they'll find their voice as a writer, even if other people. Um, don't always respond to it. And yeah, I mean, rejection is a universal experience for writers. So I think that's very important to remember that even if someone else tells you you're not a good writer, they don't particularly like what you're working on, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be something that somebody else would enjoy.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure what it is because you're right, Sarah. This has come up uh, with our authors in the past. What it is about some teachers, professors, instructors who feel like they've got to uh, tell someone that they're never going to be something. You know, yeah. based upon something they submit. Uh, I remember that uh, this the value of having going back and listening to these prior episodes. I remember John Gilstrap, who's a New York Times bestselling author, talked about how uh, he always wanted to write commercial fiction. But when he was in college, his writing instructor told him that he was not a good writer and that he would never be a good writer. Um, he's now a New York Times bestselling author. And I suspect that the person who gave him that advice is probably not. <laughs> and uh you know, so keep that in mind. And then Kathy Pickens told a fun funny story. She said she told her mother, you know, that uh, you know, I, I'm gonna be a writer. Uh I'm gonna be a writer when I grow up. And her mother said, uh, Well that's nice. You, but you know, you should do something to to make a living and uh you can do that too. And Kathy's response was, good advice for an eleven year old <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good advice for an 11-year-old uh, Because, you know, you can do both You can do both um, And if you need to take a detour to earn some uh, money first uh, uh, Like I did And become a recovering trial lawyer You can write later But, uh, you know, don't, don't put it all in one basket But, yeah, don't squash the dreams of people Don't squash the dreams of writers uh, If they have them uh, You know, look, everything's going to start out pretty bad um, Usually, right? No matter what you do I mean, whoever um, whoever tried to put together something, uh, speaking of Christmas on Christmas Eve and follow directions and got it wrong knows that, right? I mean, we're, you end up with like three screws left over <laughs> and then you go, wait a minute, what, what happened here? Let's reverse engineer this thing. Um, all right, well, look, we need to move on to our, uh, community, uh, blog post today, which is a great one, uh, in the spirit of what we've just been talking about, because it's all about encouragement. Uh, but before that, uh, just a quick message, uh about uh, our newsletter right now.
1: We have a newsletter called Beyond 300 and we'd love to have you sign up. This is where we share what's coming on the podcast, provide helpful links, and keep you updated on the podcast and the hosts. You can sign up at com or the websites of the hosts, Sarah ArcherWrights.com, or spellboundpublicrelations.com. And by the way, we won't spam you because that takes way too much time.
0: All right, Uh, Lucy McLaren uh, submitted a blog post, uh, Mental Health and the Struggling Writer. Sarah, tell us a little bit about uh, Lucy.
1: Yeah. Lucy is a fantasy author and a professional counselor. Um, she's passionate about writing stories that include a realistic representation and exploration of mental health issues, which ties really nicely into her blog post today. She's a lifelong fan of fantasy stories. She enjoys reading, writing, and watching and playing them. Her debut novel is called Awakening, the Commune's Curse, book one, and it was released from Santa Fe Writers Project in May of 2022.
0: And uh, coming from where we are uh, in the South, uh, she's got a very nice accent to listen to um of course they probably call us the ones with the accent but uh, Mm -hmm. anyway you'll get my meaning when you hear her talk here
6: mental health and the struggling writer by lucy mclaren the pursuit of writing could be a joyous one allowing us to explore our creativity and imagination it can also be well really challenging as a writer and counsellor, I am interested in promoting positive mental health tips for authors, especially having discovered firsthand how much of an impact my own mental health has taken at times. Whether you're just starting out on your journey towards writing your book, or on submission, or have published that novel and are working tirelessly to market it, I empathise, and do hope these tips come in handy. Focus on the positives. Easier said than done, right? Definitely. Take it from a mental health professional who knows how much easier it is to tell people to focus on positives than it is to do it myself. In a pursuit like writing that is rife with critiques and rejections, it can be difficult to remind yourself of the positive aspects of drafting, submitting and publishing your book. There are different ways in which you can do this. You could keep a note of the positive feedback or comments your work receives and read back over these at times when you're doubting yourself. I have also found that a gratitude journal can very much help getting into the mindset of noticing positives rather than negatives. You can find templates for these online, but a lot of the time it's simply about noting a few things every day that you feel grateful for, or perhaps are proud of. For me for example, I feel grateful to have the ability to write my stories and share them with others, and I try to remind myself of this regularly. It is a wonderful feeling regardless of the negative emotions it can bring up. Social media. Social media has become something of a useful, perhaps even essential tool in the writer's toolbox, from pre-publication connection with fellow authors to post-publication marketing to readers. But it can also be a massive drain on mental health and precious writing time. Scheduling posts can be very helpful to allow you to plan ahead and avoid the dreaded scrolling. Twitter, Instagram and Facebook all allow you to schedule posts for future dates and times. I've found this really useful so do recommend it. Being able to plan ahead gives you more sense of control, lack of which can leave people feeling quite anxious or overwhelmed. Social media is ultimately there for you to promote yourself and connect with readers or fellow authors. Optimize it as much as you can, but never feel bad about taking a break from it. Sometimes it's necessary to take a step back for the sake of your mental health. Anxiety and self-doubt. I've spoken to so many other writers who have heard that sneaky little voice in the back of their head, whispering criticisms and self-judgments sowing the seeds of self-doubt and the sense that putting their writing out into the world is fraudulent in some way. Good old anxiety. Wherever you are on your writing journey, self-doubts can kick in. If you feel as though you're stuck in a cycle of negative thinking, start by trying to notice when they're coming up. What are they saying? How can you think about this in a different way? Being able to recognise the positives As outlined above, may be a good step towards countering this negative thought cycle. The more you focus on the positives, the weaker that negative voice is likely to become. And remember, your writing is meaningful to you and to your readers. You are never a fraud for putting a part of yourself out there. You are really rather brave.
0: All right, uh, I love this post. I love the ending. Uh, You're never a fraud putting yourself out there, because that's what writing is about. You're putting yourself out there. Um, you're you're really rather brave. But it, this is a thing, folks. It's a thing we've talked about. And, sir, we're going to be diving deeper into it in our last episode of the year here when we talk about the inner critic. But, um, you know, this idea that, um, you know, I've heard, I don't know if it's true or not, but y- you can get a positive response about something and a negative response about something and you're going to remember the negative response longer than you're going to remember the positive response. Something about the way our brains work, uh, neurologically, you know. And so, uh, it's just like when you think back historically about, you know, the mistakes you raised for made, for example, in raising your kids or in, at, at work or whatever. You're likely to remember those more and amplify them more than you are to remember the things that you did well or the things that you've done well in the past. So I don't know how you fix that, but she had a couple of suggestions here. I'm interested in y'all's perspective on what you do to kind of uh fight back against this. Uh this is after all, I mean I kinda of liken this to the the hero's journey. The author is the hero and and the villain is all these things she's talking about here. You've got to ba- you've got to battle through all the reversals and the obstacles that are that are yourself. Uh so let's talk about uh, some of the things that you do, Paul.
3: It's a um one of the things that we see that this, this the a lot in the at Charlotte Lit with the writers that I've worked with over the years is this um, kind of difficulty in accepting the path from writing that's not yet good that has to be that then can get better. Um, and I don't necessarily mean in career development, but in an individual piece of writing. Um, many writers I know they have this tendency to think that. That everything that emerges from their fingers has to be, you know, polished, finished, brilliant. Um, but that's not how the process works, right? The process is a process of improvement. Uh, that the creative process is like this. It's, it's, it moves from, uh, from, from generation on the one end to, uh, to refinement later. And so, being able to accept that that's the process, to recognize that that's the process, I think helps a lot with the with the self-doubt. And that was something that, um, that I know that I had to get over early in my career was, you know, writing tended to come easy to me. So when I had a piece that wasn't working, that would frustrate me. Um, but of course it's just material, right? It's material that can be worked on. So one, one solution for self doubt is just to accept that that improvement of a draft is the writing process. That's what writing is. Right. Mm. writing is yes. is all writing is rewriting as Hemingway said
0: yeah and you know I'm just thinking back to we had a community blog uh at Joe Congel uh, uh, writing is a gift if we think about that in this holiday season uh we're talking about gifts uh writing in itself is a gift uh Sarah is that uh, does that prompt uh, say anything to you for what you'd like to comment on
1: yeah, I mean I think that's true. It's it's a blessing and it's a privilege to be able to write, to have the time, to have the ideas. Um, and I think that perspective is important too. I mean, I, I say this as someone who loves reading and writing and I've devoted my life to writing and books are my world, but I mean we're not doing brain surgery here like at the end of the day we're we're entertainers of a sort if somebody doesn't like your short story there are other things going on in the world that are probably more important so sometimes it's helpful to just keep that perspective um and i think it's also so true what lucy was saying about and landis you were reflecting on this too about um negative feedback and negative moments i think tend to stick with us a lot more than the positive ones i know if i hear 10 things about my writing, um, and 10 of them are good. And one of them is bad. The, the one that I'm going to ruminate over is the bad one. So I like Lucy's suggestion of kind of actively pushing yourself to think more about the positive and asking yourself to be grateful for things about your writing. And and maybe that's a good practice. Like once a day, just ask yourself to think about, you know, one, one positive thing about your, your writing at the moment or your life as a writer, one thing that you're grateful for, one thing that you're enjoying and just kind of make the, the, conscious effort to focus on those things. Cause I think if you don't consciously try to the, the natural instinct is to focus on the negative for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. And it's hard, um, to separate sometimes, um, you, the writer from the piece that you've written. Uh, and I don't know if that makes any sense, but sometimes, you know, if, if you get feedback, it's kind of like somebody calling your baby ugly, you know, I mean, it's, uh, you, you feel like, no, wait a minute, you know, and, and you, cause you're so connected, uh, to to your baby and i think if you can kind of distance yourself a little bit um perhaps um i'm trying to you know give my own self some advice here when you put it out there into the world and recognize that you know this is going to be for some people and it's not going to be for other people mm-hmm. um it's the same reason people like certain kinds of books the the reason people live uptown versus in the suburbs uh you know people just have different tastes right And if we can look at it, if we can turn it around and look at it from the perspective of that's, you know, whatever you've put out there is not their taste, but there are a lot of people out there. They're going to appreciate, you know, what you do. Um, maybe then it becomes less, uh, uh, personal. I don't know your thoughts, Paul.
3: Um, yes. And, um, to be realistic about what, what one can expect in terms of Mm -hmm. feedback and response to the works. Right um, at a certain point, it's not, it it has to be less personal. It has to be more, especially if you want to find an audience, it has to be more, you have to take more of a business approach to it. And the, in the business of writing has numbers of expectations, right? You can't expect all, most, half, even many of your pieces to be accepted for publication. Um, consider for example, um, you know, working in, in, you've, you've, Probably both done it right, submitting short stories and, and other kinds of pieces. The acceptance rate is very, very low, even for even for very strong writers. Um, I don't know who said this, but I've heard the expression in sports: um, losing feels worse than winning feels good. Right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. You, the the twelve the twelve reject, rejections for the one acceptance, the twelve feel much worse than that one feels good for a little while. But that's what the odds are really like, you know. 10% or less of the things that you submit are going to get accepted even when you're a good writer, just because of the amount of good writing that's out there. So if you can be realistic about what the expectations are, I think that can really help. Um, that can really help in those in, in kind of those acceptance of, of, um, of the, the good things when they happen.
0: Well, in the spirit of sports analogy, since we've had sports on the show today, um, I coach baseball for many years and if you think about the fact that uh, a very high success rate in baseball is uh is failing two out of every three times uh you get up to the plate uh then maybe that's something to think about uh, you know you know you succeed once out of every three times you try you know and and you're and you're at the top of your game you know now, I'd love to bet so,
3: three hundred of my submissions I'll tell you when.
0: It's- exactly exactly <laughs> uh Anything else, Sarah, you wanna to add to this? I know we're gonna deal this, we're gonna dive in deeper uh, in, in our end of the year episode, but uh, yeah. thoughts on this as you go? Is social um, media media draining for you, as she says?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, I love her tip about scheduling things in advance, which is actually something we do on the podcast too. It's, right. it's efficient, and I think it's also a good point that it can help with mental health and not spending too much time on social media. Um, and, and yeah, I would just say, I think persistence is important. A lot of this stuff gets easier as you spend more time writing and and you just get the experience of it you know the more you write the more you realize that your first drafts are probably not going to be great but you're going to do a lot of rewriting and that improves them and that's just the process and the more you put yourself out your stuff out there the more you see that rejection is normal but it happens to everyone and you will also get stuff accepted so I think just you know taking those blows when they come but realizing that they're all part of the process and the more you do it and the more you stick at it the more you kind of get used to that and can see the good parts in it too.
0: Yeah, and I would just add a little craft uh, marketing tip here. Um, We use a service called Buffer. um, And, yeah, you can go into the individual platforms and schedule, but that's a service you can subscribe to uh, over the course of a year, and you can set up to about four or five accounts on there, and you can schedule posts out on your author Facebook page or your podcast page or your Twitter account or your Instagram account, and you can schedule them out the one thing you need to know though about that is that um, those platforms do not treat a pre-scheduled post the algorithms don't treat them as much or as well as if you were posting it with your thumbs live so you're going to get it up there it's going to be available but you know the the darn thing about social media is you got to engage on social media and that means putting something up putting a comment out there responding. And we really appreciate the fact that, uh, uh, listeners y'all have been engaging with us on Instagram and, uh, uh, our Facebook page as well, because we're using what you tell us, uh, on there, uh, to, uh, talk on the podcast. So we appreciate that. All right. We're going to move to, um, to our last segment, which, uh, uh we're going to talk books, book recommendations for the season here. Uh, we got some, uh, elevator pitches which will be fun and uh, what's coming next uh, but first speaking of social media
1: charlotte readers podcast is on social media and we'd love to have you follow and engage with us you can find us on facebook and instagram at charlotte readers podcast check us out
0: all right time for uh, book recommendations uh it's uh it's, it's that time of year where we're going to ask for books or give books as gifts. Uh, so Sarah, what uh, what are you recommending this episode?
1: Yeah, so I'm recommending Latvana by Atessa Oshavag, which I just read. Um, I got a signed copy of it, which I was very excited about. But <laughs> um, So she's a writer who I love. She, she writes literary fiction. This book actually has a slight fantasy bent to it, um, even though it's more kind of in the, in the literary camp. And it's set in this, um, this kingdom that's not really specifically located in in time and space, but it has sort of a medieval feel to it. And it's kind of about the, the villagers and the people in the castle up on the hill. Um, it mostly follows the story of Mark, who's a thirteen year old boy, but it's kind of an ensemble story about different people in the village and what happens when there's a famine over the summer. Um, and I think Mosheva is one of those writers who you kind of love or hate. Um, she's I think she's brilliant, but her style is not necessarily for everyone. It's very dark, but it's funny at the same time. Her prose is is beautiful and really unique. She chooses really kind of startling, arresting details that she puts in there about her characters. Um, so it's always a pleasure to me to read her writing. So I definitely enjoyed that.
0: All right. Now, Paul, you've already given us in your tip four uh, four craft books to think about, or maybe six craft books. Uh, what, uh, what are you reading, uh, that you recommend, uh, for enjoyment?
3: Well, I think my, my favorite read of the last couple of years is Manhattan beach by Jennifer Egan. Uh, this was her, the, the book she wrote after, um, she won the Pulitzer prize for a visit from the goon squad. Um, from the Goon Squad was an interesting book. It had 13 chapters with 13 different point-of-view characters, all essentially telling in a woven time story about all centering around one particular character. And after winning the Pulitzer, it was almost as if she wanted to say, look, I can write a traditional novel too. Um, Manhattan Beach has three point-of-view characters, and um, it's almost like hearing four point-of-view voices because Anna Kerrigan, the primary one is at first 11 years old, and then for the remainder of the story is 19. We also hear from her father, Eddie Kerrigan, and uh, his his mob boss, Dexter Stiles. They each speak in completely different forms, and the story is um, is rich and woven. It takes place during World War II, um, in the a lot of it centered around the naval yards um, of of New York City. And it's a and for any writer, it's a master class in plotting, in pacing, in point of view, uh, in weaving um, characters, in using history and historical research. It's a it's a stunning work, um, and I've I've read it. I've listened to the audiobook. book. Um, it's it's ex- extraordinary, and we recommend I recommend this to every writer uh, who's working on a novel is to uh, spend some time with Manhattan Beach.
0: All right, we'll make sure that's in the show notes uh so all the readers and writers can enjoy that. Um uh, I uh, listened to a book on Libro.fm uh called Blackwater Falls by Ozma Sahanit Khan. Um, it's uh it was really, really interesting to me. It's it it's set in Colorado, a little small town in Colorado. Uh girls from an immigrant uh community that uh, have been settling there. Are disappearing, uh, but the local sheriff is slow to act, uh, and it's unclear you know, why the girls are missing. There's a murder early in early in the book that uh, appears to have been staged to make it look like the local evangelical church uh, is behind it. Uh, so you've got the uh, r- the clash of religions that's set up there. Um, but uh, the really interesting thing to me about this book um, was the point of view of a muslim detective Um, and you really got into the head of someone who knows what it's like uh, to to be uh, a muslim in the u.s working in a position of power to where uh, the people that uh, you're close to your family your friends the people you attend the mosque to don't trust you because you are uh, with the authorities, and the authorities don't trust you because you are from the quote outcast uh, immigrant community. So uh, it's a very uh, fast read. It's uh, got a good pace to it. Uh, the setting is really interesting, and there are a lot of different uh, characters that come into play. But you see it uh, through the perspective of someone who has uh, who, who's dealt with uh, you know repression uh, and is conflicted by whether she is doing the right thing by serving uh, as a detective on the police force. So I really enjoyed that. All right. We got a recommendation from Mark West at Storied Charlotte blog now.
7: Hello, this is Mark West with the Storied Charlotte blog. My book recommendation today is called Carol. Carol is written by Darren Kennedy, a Charlotte writer and physician. Carol is a creative retelling of Charles Dickens Christmas classic *A Christmas Carol. But in Darren's version, the story takes place not in London of the 19th century, but contemporary America. And the character who needs to be reformed is not a grouchy old man named Ebenezer Scrooge, but rather a 17 year old mean girl called Carol Davis. This is one of the most creative retellings of A Christmas Carol I've ever read. And I think it's a perfect book for the holiday season.
0: All right. I love how, you know, the, the repurposing these old stories in, in, in different perspectives. So that, that sounds like a good one by a local author here. So, uh, all right. That's Novel Books, Alyssa Pressler.
2: Hi, everyone. This is Alyssa with That's Novel Books. I am here giving you another book recommendation of a uh, recent read of mine. This one is super popular on the internet, and so you may have already heard it. If you're a little concerned that it might not live up to the hype, I'm here to dispel that worry. It is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabriel Zevin. It is easily one of my favorite books of 2022. I really enjoyed this story. It follows um, three friends who embark on this adventure to make a video game together kind of at a young age, Um, but it follows them through the decades of friendship and falling in love and fighting with each other as business partners and um, death and grief and chronic illness. It is profound, beautifully written. It's the type of book I absolutely could not pick down. I highly recommend it. This will be a book that um, I asked for for Christmas so that I have my own copy on my shelf because I truly enjoyed it so much that I think I'll read it again one day. So if you are uh, hesitating to pick up Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Seven, I highly recommend you rush to pick it up soon. All
0: right, listeners, get out tomorrow and pick up Tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> what an interesting title! You know, it's like, uh, you know, Jason Moss' book was uh, titled uh, "Hell of hell a of Book." book. <laughs> yeah, and he's, uh, you know, he won the National Book Prize this year. We had him on the podcast, uh, and he t- he told a fun story about how the he and his agent could not figure out a title for the book, but in the in the story, there is an author who jokes about the fact that he's writing a hell of a book, and so he thought, well, it, it you know. It would be too presumptuous, uh, too much hubris to put uh, a hell of a book as your book title, but they settled on it, and hell, it won. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it must be a hell of a book, you know. So, <laughs> um, okay, we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna finish up with uh, some elevator pitches here, Sarah. You want to tell our listeners uh, what this is all about, so they can participate as well.
1: Yeah. So um, it's pretty easy. Anyone can go onto our website and um, go through, I think it's the contact page has a link for where you can go to our speak pipe page and record some audio and um, record an elevator pitch for your book. So try to keep it to about 30 seconds and just tell us what the book is about, um, you can think of it like the sort of back cover copy on a book, like just enough to get people interested in without telling the whole story. It's a great exercise if you're working on a book. Maybe if you're going to query, it's good practice for what you would put in your query letter. And it's a good way to get your book out here to our listeners as well.
0: Yeah, Paul, we were mentioning to Kathy when we were, when she was on the show with us last week, uh, uh, you know, the, the idea to spread this among the Charlotte community because it's it's free. It's a way to kind of hone your... Pitch and have fun with it, uh, because people are going to ask you, "What's your book about?" And Mm -hmm. uh, you don't want to be that person who's still talking after about six (laughs) minutes, you know, because you you will notice. I mean, our grandson, his, 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 sometimes he's got this thing where he can do an eye roll even at uh, fourteen months. You know, (laughs) he can make his eyes go to the right. You know, like I don't know what it, you know, how he does that or what he's doing, but that's what you want to do when somebody's on, on their fifth minute when they're telling you what their book's about. Mm -hmm. So we don't have that from these three uh, uh, that are pitching their books now. So uh, let's listen in. I hope you're inspired by this. I hope you're inspired by these books and they give you some more ideas. And uh, that you, if you're an author and you've written a book, uh, you know, come on and pitch it. Uh, Give that a shot. All right. First up is Mary Salisbury.
2: Hi, I'm Mary Salisbury. In my debut short story collection, Side Effects of Wanting, Small-town stories speak of love and belonging, longing and regret. The people who populate these stories yearn for companionship and comfort, but all too often they must instead face the trauma of fractured relationships and the ache of not quite becoming the person they
1: hoped to be.
0: Yeah, I'd give good marks on that when you get a sense of what that's about, right? You know, you know what you're getting. And...
1: Yeah, it's especially hard with a short story collection to say what it's right. about if every story yeah. is different. So it's good yeah. to pick on the themes there.
0: Uh, yeah, I think here. so. She she chose to pick themes to to highlight. Paul, have you you know have you tried this exercise before this elevator pitch thing? It's not easy, is it?
3: No, it isn't. <clears throat> in fact, one of the things we do very early in our authors lab program is we have even for books that aren't written yet because they've been conceived of. Uh, is to write what's called a log line, right which actually uh, Sarah, I'm sure knows well because it, it, uh, it's something that the novel writing world has taken out of the uh, out of the movie world, which is to be able to summarize your story in a sentence or at most two sentences, where you try to get at the heart of the, who the protagonist is and what the obstacle is and what the stakes are um, in a very, very small uh, package, and they're very hard to write.
0: Yeah, they, they are hard to write, um, and it's sometimes helpful when you have uh, people that blurb your books because they'll see things sometimes that you as a writer uh, don't see yourself. In fact, the tagline I get from my Christmas books came from a blurber who said, uh, you know, that these books are a cross between My Cousin Vinny and Miracle on 34th Street, and so you kind of get a sense right away what we're dealing with, you know, and, and one of the blurbers, a mystery writer from Chicago, on my book Deadly Declarations, she said, you know, it's uh, national treasure meets the firm, you know, so kind of combining the treasure hunt kind of aspect with sort of a legal thriller. Um, those, you know, are the sort of log line, as Paul says, we want you to do more than that, because you know, that's just, you get more than three seconds <laughs> to describe your book. You get, We're giving you 30 seconds, but uh, we've got uh, Marianne Sprangers next, and Marianne is going to, uh, she's doing a blog post uh, that we're going to feature in the next episode uh, when we're talking about Sarah's article um, Battling the Inner Critic. Uh, Marianne actually wrote a letter to her inner critic, which is really fun and humorous, which we're going to play in the next episode. But now we're playing uh, her elevator pitch for her recent book.
5: I'm Marianne Sprangers, and my book, Cheesecake Loves My Thighs and 27 Other Reasons Why Cheesecake is Better Than Men, explores the challenges of dates that never got to the happily ever after part. It's 28 humorous essays and 28 original recipes that mix the truths and challenges of dating with the ways that cheesecake makes it all better. Stories include, Cheesecake is Never Done in Just Five Minutes, All Cheesecake is Rich, Very Rich, and of course, Cheesecake Loves My Thighs now available wherever you buy books
0: all right very clever i laugh uh, when i hear that uh and i've read the book it's good It's uh, got a lot of uh essays that move quickly but uh, she's taken her life experiences um uh including her dating life experiences and uh she's really uh taking this metaphor of cheesecake and turned it on its head so to speak mm-hmm. when it comes to men you know um and, and as you know, there's humor in there too, you know, uh, cheesecake takes more than five minutes, <laughs> men, sometimes less.
3: You can, <laughs> you can, you can kind of hear, you can kind of hear it in her voice too. Right. I mean, yeah. one thing that makes a good pitch, especially an audio pitch, there's a lot of places to pitch your work sitting across the table from an editor or a, uh, right. uh, or an agent is the enthusiasm you bring to the work. And it actually, she just has the sound to her voice that makes it sound like these are going to be, uh, uh, humorous, right? She knows her way around. She knows her way around a good line. You can just kind of hear it in her voice.
0: Yeah. And the book also has recipes. Uh, for every essay, there's a cheesecake recipe. So you get uh, something else uh, with, with the essay. So uh, more about that. Uh, all right. Well, we got uh, uh, one more, Ellen uh, Botch, and uh, we're going to hear what she has to say here.
5: I'm Alan Bache talking about my new novella, Sightless Among Miracles, the possibly true story of Samson and Delilah. You've heard of the biblical Samson. This one is modern. A girl named Sam always in search of the grand task she's been told awaits her, but she can't find out much about it only that it involves her abnormal strength, a prohibition against drinking, and a dire warning never to cut her hair. She's always on edge, driving too fast, setting fires, sleeping with too many men. She's wild and confused and lost until her final luminous
6: moments.
0: So that's interesting. It's it's taking another historical story and turning it on its head, and this time flipping the masculine to the feminine, you know. So Mm -hmm. uh, taking charge of that that story, that's that's interesting. Um, All right, well, we're about to... um, Wrap things up here, sir. Anything I've left out that we need to talk about today before we talk about what's next?
1: I don't think so. Um, Unless Paul, you have any last. Yeah. We'll give Paul Paul the last
0: word. (laughs) Paul, give you the last word of the episode.
3: Well, I just really appreciate you having, uh, having me on this week and having Kathy on last week. Um, Charlotte lit and Charlotte readers podcast have been long time, long time partners. And, and Sarah and Landis, both members of the org and on our faculty. And uh, it's really great to to sit here and see how you put this thing together. And, um, you know, I think we are, um, you know, we are partners in helping to build and support the writing community. And it's, it's, uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having
0: me. Yeah, no, we really appreciate you being here and riding along. I always appreciate your your perspective, uh, uh, your two-minute tips, because I know it takes a lot longer than two minutes to create them. So thank, <laughs> mm-hmm. thanks for putting that Kathy made that there. clear to y'all last she, week. <laughs> she already said, yeah, Landis. You know, we might give you four a month, but they, they aren't all going to come from me. They're going <laughs> to, you know, we'll, uh, we'll go from there. But uh, yeah, no, it's been great. And we're looking forward to, to a new year. And, and next, next episode, when we're talking about aspirations, keep in mind that it doesn't have to be, uh, and Paul's talked about this in the previous episode on his tips, that, it doesn't have to be too concrete. You know, you don't want to box yourself in a corner. Maybe you uh, write it kind of like a lawyer would write it, so you give yourself several outs, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, oh, there's a blog
3: so, post so, for you. What, what creative writers can learn from lawyer legal writing.
0: Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. That, uh, I don't know, It might put them to sleep. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, all right, so Sarah, let's uh, tee us up. What's coming next?
1: Yeah, so next time, um, we are excited to have Hannah LaRue back with us. Um, It's been great to have Paul and our other guest co-hosts, but Hannah's going to be rejoining us for the first time in several months, so it's going to be awesome to have her back on the show. Um, And we're going to kind of do a a year-end review and talk about writing, reading, and podcasting aspirations for the new year, um, including some listener feedback on that. We're also going to take on several uplifting topics for writers. We're going to dive into my blog post, Why is Imposter Syndrome So Common Among Writers and How to Beat It? And piggybacking on that theme, uh, Marianne Sprengers, who we just heard an elevator pitch from, is going to share her blog titled Dear Inner Critic. We also have a a blog post from Landis, Coming to Terms with Reality. The universe doesn't care about your book as much as you do, and that's Okay. And finally, as always, we have a Charlotte Lit two-minute tip, book recommendations by the hosts and by our community collaborators, and um, some kind of year-end community announcements.
0: All right, and I hope everybody has a a Merry Christmas, uh, and we will see you next uh, week and talk about uh, having a Happy New Year. So uh, read on and write on.